Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, October 18th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 1 to 31. The Lord tells his prophet to declare the abominations of Jerusalem, the city that has become guilty through the shedding of blood and defiled through the making of idols. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor Mark Sturdivant. Pastor Sturdivant serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Yucaipa, California. Pastor Sturdivant, welcome to Sharper Iron. Very good to be with you, Tim. As we get started this morning, Pastor, let's talk a little bit of context. I know you, you did some work for CPH on a lifelight Bible study on the book of Ezekiel, so I'm curious, whatever context about the prophet Ezekiel, his ministry, where we've been in his book leading up to chapter 22, any information that you would find helpful as we introduce this chapter today, please share that with us as we get started. Yes, Ezekiel was a, a big book to deal with. I was very surprised and also very rewarded from that that study for lifelight pretty much like taking a class in school and then writing the paper afterward. Uh, And it was a wonderful learning experience for me. Ezekiel, I've been reflecting on it a little bit more now that he was picked up out of a, his current situation. He thought his life was all set for 30 or so years as a trained priest in Jerusalem. But the uh, attack of the Babylonian army taking all of the important people, at least, especially the priests, away from Jerusalem, uprooting them and carrying them off into exile, Ezekiel had to have asked the question, now what? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not uprooted and moved to some other place in the, these last few months, a, a year and a half or more with COVID, but we certainly were uprooted in another way. So we can identify with Ezekiel quite well. And how do we deal with a new situation? And uh, the people that are all around him are just said, God has given up on us. So we should just go out our own way and give up on him. Hmm. And Ezekiel, with all of the visions that he recorded and all of the harsh words, especially the ones from the chapter today, is especially God's word for uh, inspiring repentance in these very half-hearted people that uh, do not want anything more to do with God. But Ezekiel still gives the promise of restoring them as well. So law and gospel in this great book. Right. We haven't really encountered a ton of that gospel. There are bits and pieces sprinkled throughout these first several chapters, as as you know, but the primary section of gospel is going to come beginning in chapter 33, when Ezekiel hears the message that Jerusalem has fallen, and he turns to comfort the people with the good news of the restoration of God's people. So that is coming. I think it is a, a helpful reminder that even in 
a situation, you know, these people are in exile. They're wondering, what is God up to? Thinking perhaps he's forsaken them, that even in that context, some preaching of the law is is necessary. There might be the temptation yeah. for a, a preacher just to say, oh, there, you know, there's a lot of hurting, and so it, it needs to be all gospel. But I think Ezekiel is a helpful reminder that, no, there is still that preaching of repentance that's necessary, you know, lest we think God's forsaken us, or lest we put our, our hope or our trust somewhere else. I think it's a helpful reminder for Ezekiel yeah, and into our time as well. Go ahead. There's a great window into God's grace when he says early on, I desire not the death of the sinner over the wicked. I, I, went, I want them to turn from their way and live. And he will, as you say later in the book, uh, flesh that out quite well. Uh, God's uh, purpose is all about loving his people, loving the, the ones who had rejected him, but he has not uh, let go of us. That's that's and for that's sure. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go, go ahead, Pastor. That's what we want to gain from anything that we read in the Scripture, and a lot of this uh, context that we'll have to study to understand what was going on at that time, at the time of the exile. Uh, they they left their familiar landscape with mountains all over, all around them, and now they're in a this flat plain with uh, mounds that they had to build to to uh, get away from all that flooding. I don't know uh, how flat it is there in your area of Texas, but you've got some uh, hilly mountain areas of Texas, but then you have large, large flat places. And uh, I've lived in both sorts of sceneries. And when you change from one to the other, it just really shocks you. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about that with some of the the words of Ezekiel earlier. That difference in scenery and the the longing for mm-hmm. Jerusalem that they certainly would have felt being in exile, and yet again, as you're, I think you're you're pointing out too, the uh, a need to redirect that longing so that it's mm-hmm. it's not only just a a homesickness. Man, I wish I was back in Jerusalem and the beautiful mountains. But but that desire to return to the Lord and true repentance that that's what Ezekiel is really driving for. Yeah, Daniel uh, 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 acts it out very clearly when he op- looks out toward Jerusalem to pray. Mm. Uh, it was mentioned way back in Solomon's day that uh, anyone that would look toward the temple, God will listen to their prayer. Uh, Daniel took that to heart, and Ezekiel was going to say the same message that God was not abandoning them or if they left the place of God's presence that he would still be with them and uh, a lot of the the foreign idols and gods that that the other people around them worshiped these Israelites just thought well their God is only in this place so our God must only be in a certain place and now that we're taken away in exile we're not in God's city. We're not in God's house anymore. The Lord said otherwise. I am with. I am still here with you, and you are my people. That's right. In terms of what we're going to encounter in chapter twenty-two, is there any introduction in terms of the material we're going to see, the images that Ezekiel is going to use that will help us as we look at this chapter? Ezekiel is now in full form as a like a prosecutor, an attorney, that uh, the uh, the charges are now being brought up against the offending city. And the image of blood, bloodshed, bloody city, they're all shocking things for uh, Ezekiel to 
bring this all up because his training was in uh, animal sacrifices, bloodshed. He was going to be a priest uh, for the rest of his life, but uh, the exile brought an end to that. And so the bloodshed, whether it was actual murder that was taking place or the the uh, hideous things that uh, was referenced back to Assyria, that, that was uh, the capital of Assyria, Nineveh, was the original bloody city. They had uh, uh, they had maimed people. They had uh, mutilated them live, uh, even down to flaying their skin off their bones. And it was uh, hideous that and that when Ezekiel uses the same term to refer to Jerusalem, that that would have really caught their attention. The, um, and breaking God's law is a horrible hideous heinous thing and people just think oh well, that's okay we, we can make a justification for it we can we can say it's not as bad as some other things and god doesn't see it that way at all mm-hmm. he sees it in utter seriousness because it's a breaking that relationship from him that without it we would not have life yeah, that that use of a term that they would have associated with Nineveh, we we see the prophets do that in several places, and Ezekiel follows in that same pattern, catching their attention, showing them the true seriousness of breaking God's law. So let's go ahead and jump into the text. We're in Ezekiel 22. I'm going to read the first 16 verses as we really pick up that theme of the bloody city. So Ezekiel sure. 22, uh, beginning at verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Then declare to her all her abominations. You shall say, thus says the Lord God, a city that sheds blood in her midst, so that her time may come, and that makes idols to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood that you have shed, and defiled by the idols that you have made. And you have brought your days near. The appointed time of your years has come. Therefore I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all the countries. Those who are near and those who are far from you will mock you. Your name is defiled. You are full of tumult. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, every one according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. There are men in you who slander to shed blood, and people in you who eat on the mountains. They commit lewdness in your midst. In you men uncover their father's nakedness. In you they violate women who are unclean in their minstrel impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me you have forgotten, declares the Lord God. Behold, I strike my hand at the dishonest gain that you have made and at the blood that has been in your midst. Can your courage endure or can your hands be strong in the days that I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries, and I will consume your uncleanness out of you. And you shall be profaned by your own doing in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord. That was Ezekiel 22, verses 1 to 16, the first part of this chapter. 
Pastor Sturdivant, as you said, here are the, the main images. You've got Jerusalem as the bloody city, not Nineveh this time, but Jerusalem, the bloody city. And right. it, it, there's there's two parts that I, I see from the outset. You've got this the city that's shedding blood that makes her guilty, but that's also connected to the defiling that's happening because of the idols that they've made. How are those those two things connected here, the, the blood that's being shed and the idols that are being made? Yes, the Ten Commandments are behind all of this. I can see that father and mother. I can see uh, respecting the Lord's name and not taking it to, to be in vain. The bloodshed could be literal murder, as I had said before. But then there's also this blood that is being shed as animals being sacrificed to idols. Well, uh, you could uh, certainly say, well, the animals were going to be sacrificed to God in the legitimate sacrifices of the Old Testament. But when they're offered to idols, it's a it's a senseless waste. Hmm. And so there's bloodshed not only of the people, but the animals that were being used for this false worship. It was a... Uh, a very serious offense that was um, being practiced in the city of Jerusalem through this idol worship that um, when you ha- you shall have no other gods before me, the first commandment, uh, all the other commandments are broken uh, once you have rejected the true God as your own God. That, the connection to the first commandment, and I do want to look at the the list that Ezekiel gives and some of the things that we see in terms of the the sins that he points out in this bloody city. But I'm glad you started with the first commandment because it's easy, I think, to miss. But by the time you get to that end of that that really long list in verse 12, there's that phrase that might be easy to throw away, but I, I think it's really key to the whole thing where the Lord says, me, you have forgotten, declares the yeah. Lord. And I, I mean, it's I really emphasize yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's emphasizing, uh, you have forgotten me, could have could have said it right away, but me, that emphasized, this is, uh, you shall have one God and one God alone, and that is me. Uh, so that, that's where that emphasis comes from. And the Lord God, we see it in our Bible, verse, Bible versions as um, the... The Old Testament word for God, uh, Yahweh, the the personal God, is introduced by uh, the the other Hebrew word Adonai, the Lord. So um, the the Lord God as the Almighty God who wants a personal relationship with His people, and the their sinfulness and their false worship have broken that relationship. Well, and and where that relationship has been broken, then absolutely everything else is broken as well. I mean, I think the yeah. way that you know Ezekiel lays this out, it, it reminds me of how Martin Luther echoes this in the small catechism when he explains each of the commandments. You know, the first commandment is yeah. we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and then that permeates the other nine commandments. They fear all— love God. That's right. And so where the fear and love of God is right, everything else falls into place. But where the fear and love of God is is absent or placed in something or someone else, then everything else is completely disordered, which is the picture that Ezekiel gives us here. Yes. And then the the punishment that comes from it is, well, uh, being made a reproach to the nations, um, all of the 
bad things. They were following these idols for a very specific purpose. They wanted to have the prosperity of those nations that uh, followed those idols. They wanted their fertility. They wanted their crops to grow. They wanted their children to multiply. And uh, God withheld all of those blessings because they ultimately come from him. They don't come from these false gods. These people are uh, deceiving themselves. And the the false gods, the other nations that follow them, they're also deceiving them. And they just don't see it. And God has to wake them up to this fact that I am providing for you. I am your God who will give you all good things as I uh, determine for you for your own good. In terms of the the various sins that the Lord does list in verses six and following, as, as you pointed out, you know, he starts off with father and mother, which I think as, as, when you start reading this list, starting there, the dishonoring of father and mother seems slight compared to some of the other things in terms of outward effect. And yet that's where the, the Lord starts. Yeah. yeah, the very masks of God himself, the first human beings you meet in the world. And once again, thanks. Uh, congratulations on your daughter being born <laughs> Thank and you. baptized and uh, being made of God's child. Well, she had her first neighbors uh, that she met were uh, her father and mother. And they are God's hands of blessing to each one of us. And so that's where it starts, because the where if father and mother are dishonored, the, the commandment says, honor your father and mother. It's, it's a, uh, Ezekiel is turning the tables on what has actually been going on. You are breaking this commandment because you are breaking faith with your God. There's uh, mercy that God showed toward you because you were traveling in a foreign land, now the, uh, the other foreigners who come to you, you have, uh, you have treated them very shamefully, and they are wrong. They are being extorted. They, uh, all of these things that, that you did not uh, suffer from, you are inflicting upon them uh, when it's uh, your turn to show the mercy to the uh, foreigners. In terms of that, with the sojourner, the foreigner, then the very next two are the fatherless and the widow. That that trio, oh. the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, or the uh, sometimes it's translated differently, but maybe the the orphan yeah. and the widow. That's a, a trio that we see often in the Old Testament. What is it about those three in particular that that they're, the Lord often shows this great concern for those three and directs His people to do the same? Yeah, the ones clearly in need of grace, the ones unable to help themselves. It's I, I see it very similarly to. When Jesus helps the uh, paralyzed people, paralyzed uh, men, and the, uh, the the ones that are afflicted with leprosy, right? utter helplessness, they cannot even enter the holy space of worship because of their uncleanness. Uh, any of these things where they're in a, a most impossible state, uh, that all that they can rely on is pity and mercy. And that's what God shows toward us. It's a picture of his great gospel love. You, you, don't, you say you don't see gospel in here, but you just have to see where these law things, why, why is God so worried about these helpless people? It's because that's how he is with all of us uh, and, and as helpless as we are. So we are not uh, following in the pattern that God has desired for us. You shall show love toward those who are helpless 
because this is my image that I am planting in you. I'm impressing upon you who I am so that you can be uh, lights in the world, uh, just like I am the light of your life. After that, then it sounds like in verse eight, the despising of the Lord's holy things, profaning his Sabbaths, after father and mother have been mistreated, then the the weakest of the weak have been mistreated. They're mistreating the Lord in verse eight. Right. My holy things, the, the very means of grace, the very things that bring my forgiveness into your life. Uh, you have you have despised them. You have uh, treated them as nothing, as as profane. The Sabbaths, that was brought up a lot by Jeremiah with the Sabbaths were not observed because people lost faith in the Lord. They didn't uh, trust that he would provide the uh, the bounty of the land. It is the Sabbaths were not only Sabbath days once a week, but a Sabbath year every seven years. Then, then a, another Sabbath would come around when the year of Jubilee came in uh, every 50 years so that when they uh, did not let the land rest in the sabbath or for the sabbath years all the, all that time jeremiah said your exile will count for making up all of those lost years where the land wasn't worked and you'll be gone you'll be in exile somewhere else and the land will enjoy its Sabbaths, then as we would be revealed much later, because Jeremiah's uh, ministered both before Ezekiel and after. He's He's got a long uh, session of being God's prophet, but he's right there in Jerusalem. He was not carried off into exile, and he says that the land will enjoy 70 years, and then the exile will come to an end, and the Lord will let his people return. In the in the next verse, there's another one of those maybe seemingly smaller sins that again it's it's easy to pass over, but I think it, it's worth a look. There are men in you who slander to shed blood. the The use of our yeah. lips here is connected to the the thought of murdering. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Ezekiel makes that connection for uh, it's a bloody sin. It's uh, slander. The um, uh, telling lies about our neighbor, as the uh, Catechism teaches us in the uh, Eighth Commandment, but the and then the people who eat on the mountains; those were those other worship sites that was yeah. creatively, you might say, coming up with different ways of worship God, but did not involve what God said. You will come to my chosen place to put my name. You will respect my name with a holy and godly fear no longer the fear of imminent punishment uh, because you've been rescued and redeemed, but now you have this uh, respect and reverence for my name because you come to my chosen place to receive my gifts, to receive my forgiveness that come through the sacrifices that point ultimately to the sacrifice of Christ. Mm-hmm. So they're despising the holy things, the, the uh, and eat on the mountains, those uh, those feasts that they would have with along with those sacrifices would be dedicated to other gods. They, they had, uh, Moses' brother Aaron thought that worshiping the golden calf would just be another way of worshiping the true God. 
but uh, the people didn't take it that way and and the lord was uh, rightfully enraged with them and moses uh, as well mm-hmm. uh, from there the prophet moves into several sins uh, against sexuality the the misuse yeah. of god's gift of sexuality the lewdness in, in a variety of ways is I mean, I would imagine that that these sins are, are happening in society at large, but also is there is there also maybe a connection to some of the like the temple prostitution, the pagan rituals that would have happened in that light? Yeah, there would be some connection with that there. the uh, the other idols had a lot of uh, sexual activity as their worship practice. But it was also the sixth commandment as such, uh, that you would not commit adultery. The the father's nakedness is a little bit of a cryptic phrase, but if you read the rest of Leviticus and a few other places that define these sins of uh, the uh, what that all entails, that would mean the father's nakedness would be uh, violating the mother, uh, since in holy marriage, the the mother's nakedness is only reserved for her husband. And so this is respecting the marriage bed, the, um, the Israelites of this time uh, must have had a, a big problem with this, the um, incest that was going on with uh, uh, either brothers and sisters or half brothers and half sisters with different parents. But either either way it was done, it was all an abomination against the Lord. And um, women unclean in their during their period, that was a a sign again that that through childbirth and through the natural processes that God gave for a woman to participate in perpetuating the human race, it was uh, all to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. Uh, the seed of the woman uh, that was promised to Eve back in Genesis chapter three. So it, you can find uh, a lot of these things that were uh, breaking faith with God and his future promise of a Messiah uh, right here with these seemingly very ceremonial and uh, very obscure uh, sins that are also in the uh, realm of the of the God's gift of sexuality. The last thing that Ezekiel lists has to do with economics. And again, maybe something that seems like a minor issue, but but quite important in the life of God's people, how they treat each other in their economic dealings with each other. Right, yes. Uh, the property that belongs to one is also God's gift to them. It is uh, not only wrong to take the things, but also to covet them, to desire for them. Uh, an action that's totally occurring in your own mind, but God can still see what you're doing against your neighbor. The the economics also had a lot to do with the land. The land, uh, as I was reading the uh, book of Ruth for a Bible class uh, at my church in Ukaipa, we learned that it was God's land. It didn't really belong to the people living there. God allowed them to use the land and to deal not in property, but in the uh, forecasted uh, produce, the, the crops that would be yielded on that property. And that's what they had to trade with one another. So then this interest in profit 
it was designed to take advantage of things when the, the when people had to sell what they were planning to harvest from their own land to help them out in a time of uh, things being tight or they're being uh, they're risking going into poverty well then someone would buy them out and then uh, when the the property in the jubilee year comes back into their family then the person that that paid them the money would would have to give the land back that they would have to live and work the land again so uh, that's what was going on when the transaction happened between uh, Naomi and Boaz so that then Boaz would have to marry Ruth well then that's what's going on here in Ezekiel they had arranged to sell the the profit from the land for a certain time and then uh, they uh, used extortion they used fraud to misrepresent either what the the land was going to produce or what that value was and and not turn the land over something like that was disobeying what god's intent was for it and disregarding also that it was god who's in charge of the land he it's, it really does belong to him Right, and all of that stems from that final statement there in verse 12. Me, you have forgotten. Me, you have forgotten. And that that sums that up, and we're going to pick up more of Ezekiel's preaching on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel 22 this morning with Pastor Mark Sturdivant, and we will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, October 18th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 1 to 31 with Pastor Mark Sturdivant. He is pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Yucaipa, California. Pastor Sturdivant, prior to the break, we looked at the opening section of this chapter, verses 1 to 16, the bloody city, all of these sins that stem from the fact that they have forgotten the Lord God. In verse 17, Ezekiel keeps preaching. It is a new word from the Lord that comes to him, and we pick up a new image. We're going to talk about metallurgy. And so I'm interested to to hear how Ezekiel uses this image to preach again to the people. So now we're in Ezekiel 22, beginning at verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace, They are dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As one gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into a furnace to blow the fire on it in order to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath, and I will put you in and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in a furnace, 
so you shall be melted in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have poured out my wrath upon you. That's the next section. That's where the image of, of metallurgy comes up. So, Pastor Sturdivant, as we as we think about this section of Ezekiel's preaching, just help us with with the image. What's the what's the process that he's describing that he's using here in order to preach to the people? The Lord is speaking of His anger, and that's what He was getting at. With uh, I think we missed uh, verse thirteen, or I I missed it, where the Lord is uh, striking His hand at the uh, at the utter. Uh, unfaithfulness that he's seen in this. He's, he's asking Ezekiel to bring up charges as he's saying that that, that image of a courtroom is there at the beginning of this chapter. But here is now what God says, I am going to do. And so his anger will burn. Uh, he's going to scatter them. The, the uh, exile will carry on. And then the bloody city, Jerusalem, will be destroyed, uh, bloodshed throughout it. The Babylonian armies will uh, breach over the walls of Jerusalem and uh, do utter damage, especially uh, tearing down the temple and burning it. So then this this heat and this metal melting, it's, it's it's like the extreme hot that can ever be imagined in Ezekiel's day. And they... They had these furnaces. I thought it was interesting to mention uh, fiery furnaces in connection with Nebuchadnezzar. As yeah. We know that he at least has one working furnace that gets pretty hot. And you can blow all the air into it to, to um, fan up the flames and, and really melt metal. I don't know how hot it has to be. To It's got to be a, a couple thousand degrees to uh, get that silver separated from all the other impure metals in the ore and make it pure so yeah you're you're talking some pretty extreme temperatures mm. well that's and not, that's the lord's anchor well i just appreciate the, the way you bring out that nebuchadnezzar's got that furnace there in babylon i'm not sure the what, what the yeah. timing differences are there between the, the book of daniel and where we are in are in ezekiel but it would be interesting to to think that that perhaps ezekiel is preaching this to people who have seen this really hot furnace but, Possibly, yeah. But now, the, and the, again, the surprising part here is that Ezekiel is saying the really hot furnace is back in Jerusalem, and that's where this fire of God is going to burn in order to, you know, to separate the good metal from the dross. And, and it sounds like that the judgment is all he's going to find is just this dross, the stuff that he's going to cast aside. Right. And I, I didn't know this, but reading um, Je- Jeremiah chapter 6, that same image of, of the metallurgy is used and that lead is involved in that. And I'm not hmm. up on the process, but you use lead that brings the silver out and then the, the lead just uh, flows away because it's a little softer metal and then the silver is left. So it, it was... Uh, Included to make the ore uh, uh, appear, make the silver appear from the ore uh, more quickly and more efficiently. The dross is useless. It's the ore that you don't want. It's you want the metal that is found inside. And God says, "I'm bringing all of this ore in here, thinking I'm going to get uh, all kinds of precious metal of your, uh, representing your faithfulness to me, your love toward your neighbor, everything that was." Uh, brought up in the earlier part of this chapter, 
you've got nothing. You've got, it's just all going to be burned away and it is going to uh, be gathered together as it were in, in the wrath that is pictured with the uh, hot fire. And then once this has happened, then they have this utter realization. Uh, the Lord really means what he says and uh, that they'll have the, you shall know that I'm the Lord is, uh, is said many, many times in Ezekiel and lots of places in the Old Testament. But that is that knowing that he is the Lord, that, that means your personal experience now uh, confirms it to you. And that's what he's saying with this image now that it's it's a bit of a, a, a quick change to get into it. But it, it's the the wrath of God upon the city. That's what makes the connection and, and brings out the. Uh, the metalworking uh, analogy that he's using here. Is there a, a an implicit promise or implicit bit of hope that's here in this text for the people who are in exile listening to Ezekiel? If, if Jerusalem is the furnace that's going to be burned and, and the great description that's there, and it sounds like there's no silver to be found there, is and, and again, not that Ezekiel develops it here, but thinking through just his ministry as a whole— is there is there maybe a bit of promise, hope implicit here for the exiles who've been removed from that furnace, at, almost in a, a refining way that the exile is going to? I don't know. I not. I don't want to stretch it, it, it would too have far. To be, but yeah, yeah, it would have to be from somewhere else that uh, he has that. He, yes, the metal worker is searching for the the precious metal. He's, he he wants the silver uh, out of all of the others that, that he's casting aside. But right now, this is pretty full-on God's wrath and fury. Uh, Ezekiel is—he he, doesn't—Ezekiel doesn't witness the destruction of Jerusalem, but he was inspired by God to uh, recount that event. And so that—I well, don't remember what chapter that is. It, it, Ezekiel actually uh, knows the day when the temple falls and Jerusalem is destroyed. So this is this is that harsh realization that that repentance is demanded first before there is that uh, offer of hope. And yeah, yeah, the silver will come through. It will be very little. There's a remnant of God's faithful people that will survive all of this. But there's no clue of that in, in this particular section. And so the, the people will just have to uh, keep listening to uh, the messages that the prophet has from God so that they will have that uh, that hope of restoration that, that is to come. Mm, yeah, the driving at repentance yet again here with this image of dross coming out, the, the fire that's going to be burned there in Jerusalem. Any more in, in that section, Pastor Sturdivant, before we move on to the, the rest of this chapter? Yeah, you, you will be melted. It is going to be a personal experience of God's wrath, and yet there is that uh, also that uh, comforting thing that God is uh, very measured in uh, unleashing his wrath and his anger. It is. It seems like it's going to be overwhelming, but he does it specifically for the refining of his people for uh, an, an ultimate purpose that is for the good. It, it's right in the midst of their 
lack of faith in him. So you're not going to see that here when he's uh, laying the charges out before them and ready to convict before God the judge. But uh, yes, we are looking forward to that, uh, that uh, restoration once repentance has been worked in the, uh, the believer's heart. Uh, that's right. And and again, with Ezekiel's ministry, he is in that part of his ministry when he is given this word of judgment and law to preach toward that end. As you, as you pointed out, this isn't the Lord you know, just being mean or, or just, you know, for no, no reason. He does have that goal in mind of repentance for his people that he might draw them to him in true faith. And, and such an important thing to keep in mind as we're reading this section in Ezekiel. Got a few more verses here in Ezekiel chapter 22. Another another picture, another oracle of judgment that Ezekiel is going to preach. We're beginning now in verse 23 of the chapter. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the clean and the excuse me, between the unclean and the clean, and they have disregarded my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. That's the rest of Ezekiel chapter 22. That was verses 23 to 31. Pastor Sturdivant, again, we have that, that opening phrase, the word of the Lord came to me. And here the Lord singles out, he says, the land that's not cleansed, so an, an unclean land, and then not rained upon in the day of indignation. What's the, what's the main thrust of this section with that opening line? We're talking about the land that flows with milk and honey. God's promise of uh, plenty, of prosperity was there to underline the fact that he is the all-providing God, the one who created heaven and earth, and he will give his people enough for what they need for day to day. He, he had rained manna on them when they were in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, and then once they arrived there, no more need for the manna because the land God would give them for their uh, sustenance and for uh, for all good things that they need. Now, when the rain is either withheld or rain is given at the wrong time or the wrong amount. We, we know this in California with the droughts that we've had for decades now, but then a big rainstorm comes and uh, washes everything away uh, in, a, in a flash flood. But where did the benefit of that water come from? Well, see, it was too much at the wrong time. 
and and so the sending of rain was the symbol of God's providing for them, of giving exactly what they need, um, and that it was a sign of God's pleasure or displeasure with them. And so there's there's no rain in this case. It's not been rained upon because of their their indignation, their uncleanliness. And so then the the prophet here is given to single out several different groups and ultimately all the people. But he starts with the the leaders of the people, and and we hear about the prophets, the princes, the priests. Help us into to what's going on among the leaders of the people first. That's that's caused this huge uncleanliness among the people of Judah. Uh, yeah, uh, God's people have always uh, had to deal with the false prophets that were around, uh, and uh, we have examples like uh, Elijah, who uh, slaughtered the the false prophets after it was proven that that their sacrifice was not answered with uh, fire, but but uh, Elijah's uh, water drenched sacrifice had uh, the fire of God that that. Uh, revealed who the true God was. So there was false prophets back then. There was, uh, there was also false prophets in the time of Israel that were, uh, that were causing big problems for Jeremiah. They, they threw him into the pit saying that he was prophesying against this holy city and against this holy temple. And Jeremiah said, I'm not saying this lightly. This is, this is, a, a true desolation that is going to come because of the faithlessness of God's people. So these false prophets are what they're talking about. Uh, Jerusalem has uh, this image of, uh, of a feminine personage, a, that her prophets in her midst, and that um, it is committing this uh, great violence, that like a, a lion tearing off the limbs of a, of a prey that it, it had caught. So they, they're speaking very positive-sounding words, things that would say, well, that sounds like a, a good message from God. Maybe I should believe that because it, it seems logical. It seems like it would be what I picture God to want to say to me because God wants me to be happy, all those kind of things that, that people have in their minds that uh, are just from their own imaginations of their hearts but really it's a it's shedding blood it's devouring human lives even if uh, they themselves don't see those uh, results coming from it what about what the the priests are doing in the violence mm-hmm. to the law and the profaning of the holy things oh yeah ezekiel as he was going to be a priest himself so he had the, all of that training the priests are the the way to get access to God. They are in God's holy place. They have ultimate responsibility for the holy things, for the things that communicate forgiveness of connecting the people of the Old Testament with the promise of the Messiah. Uh, the sacrifice of Jesus himself was, uh, was played out over and over again in the animal sacrifices that the priests were in charge of. So that when there's no distinction made anymore between the clean and the unclean, the the holy and the common, that's violence to God's law. It, it may seem like a a minor infraction in in our way of looking at it, since we're post 
Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and they are before that. But still, all the same, they are disregarding that, that, that God has selected certain means for giving us his forgiveness. And it would just be the same as despising baptism, that you would say, oh, we could do baptism, but it really doesn't matter that much. It's just water. And that would be despising God's word. The, so the priests have uh, special attention from Ezekiel for their uh, faithlessness. We're uh, today broadcasting being uh, the 18th, uh, St. Luke's Day. St. Luke was uh, was especially keen on the the holy and the the uh, the temple rituals being fulfilled in what Jesus Christ came to do to. Uh, keep God's law, not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the ceremonies, all of the the legal laws that, that were uh, part of it, then uh, he kept them for us. And then when he suffered on the cross, that was uh, not only his passive obedience, but his active obedience, his, his actual uh, you know, loving the Lord, the God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and and loving his neighbor as himself. And then just briefly, Pastor Sturdivant, the princes in verse 27 are the last ones. The prophets come back again, but tell us just about the, the princes for a moment. Yeah, prin- princes, I think, were instead of being members of a royal family or uh, sons of a king and queen, they, they would be officers. They would be the people that are in charge in, in the government in some sort of way. They, they have a, a task that would mean to protect, they, they might even be uh, you know, the keeping the peace. They they were the, the people that were weaker would rely on them as the the stronger ones that would uh, offer their protection. But you know, when they have this vulnerable relationship with these uh, these princes, and then they they turn on them, and instead of protecting them, they they prey on them, and so the this ultimate turning over of, of dif, uh, disobeying their calling, their their vocation of of being that protector for them, and instead being the predator. Uh, Pastor Sturdivant, we have about five minutes left on the morning, and yeah. there's this verse, verse thirty. And I think is is loaded language that is going to connect us to Christ. That that the Lord's looking for this man who would build up the wall, stand in that breach. To I mean, it sounds like to intercede for the people, and and no one is going to be found right yeah. now. But it sounds like I mean, I I think Doesn't I hear that those seem words. Like a letdown? Yeah, Doesn't I know. Seem like a I know. Like, we, yeah. we, hey, we need Jesus to step in right there, don't we? Right, right. So <laughs> with with that so verse, is, yeah. Uh, go uh, ahead and, and take us through this verse and and use that as a way to wrap things up and point us to Christ from this text. Go is, ahead. Is Israel reduced to one? It, uh, all of the wrath that God had threatened upon Israel and did in the in the course of time of the Old Testament, He unleashed in full on Jesus when He was on the cross. Now, standing in the breach was uh, going back to uh, Moses, who was, I think it was the Psalms that said, uh, as Moses stood in the breach uh, before God's anger, and then the Lord relented because of Moses' uh, intercession. Well, Moses also was uh, typifying what Christ would do in answering for 
the sins of those those people, uh, and he did not commit those sins. It was the the sins of others that uh, that Moses stood up for, and and then Jesus, of course, having no sin in here, was was made to be sin for us. But yes, the the walls and the breach in the wall. This the people had a false trust in the protection that it, that the physical city of Jerusalem offered them. It was high up on a hill. It overlooked uh, the valley below. They, the walls were very tall and very thick, and they thought it was impenetrable. It was not possible to uh, get in uh, by get in through the the wall and and yet the Babylonians achieved that. They built the ramps, they uh, they cut off all nourishment in a uh, with the what was going in and coming out of Jerusalem. So it it ended up happening as they they had feared. But yeah, this the one build up the wall, stand in the breach. There's none that will be found because there's no one able to take the full wrath of God except. Uh, the Son of God in human flesh, Jesus Himself. Right. So, so that text, then, I mean, I think it leaves you hanging here, like you said. What, what a mm-hmm. letdown! But, but mm-hmm. putting in the context of of all of Scripture, we do see how Jesus is the one to fulfill that. Which is about a minute here, Pastor Sturdivant. Help us to wrap things up, and and from this text, which has been judgment law, uh, point us toward our Savior Jesus Christ. Ezekiel's in a very difficult situation. Uh, we, we're like that too. We may not have been lifted out of our homes and taken away to a foreign country like the uh, Ezekiel and all of his friends were from taken out of Jerusalem and taken over to Babylon. No hope of uh, even returning back home anytime soon. We were lifted out of what we thought was our normal way of life. We, it, A lot of people have been disillusioned. We've all gone through a very similar experience together all over the world, but it is still uh, uh, not for us to be discouraged that God has uh, reached out to his people in uh, amazing ways. People have uh, really now understood that God is able to work all things for the good of his people. It's very difficult to see it when that God will work something good out of a bad thing when you're going through the bad thing. And I think Ezekiel also is struggling with that and, and writing it down as he says it. That's why it's so uh, drastic. It's, it sounds like there's no hope uh, there that the man that is looking forward to, to, um, to uh, make everything better. We, we saw even 20 years ago when we saw the horrible things of 9-11, we were just hoping that something would just make the day go better and it just didn't it was a a a horrible thing to witness uh, as as it was going on but it it took days months years later to see all the things that god brought out of a a horrible circumstance and let his grace shine through Pastor Mark Sturdivant is pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Yucaipa, California, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 1 to 33. Pastor Sturdivant, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Pastor Apple. 
I'm your host here on the Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on our app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.